Um, but last time we met, um, just to catch you up, uh, for those of you that don't remember or weren't here, we and this is kind of weird, we spent a whole hour talking about circumcision, which is just weird, okay? Uh, just reality. And, and we talked about this concept that Paul and Barnabas had been preaching the gospel in all of this Gentile world, and these Gentiles, these non-Jews were coming to Jesus, they were being saved, um, and then everything was gravy, was all cool, and then these radical Jews came in and said, y'all got to be circumcised to really be saved. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, no, that's not the case. Um, so there was this big argument, and what happened is, is they took the... They took this issue up to the church in Jerusalem, to where the church leaders were. The church leaders came together. They made a decision. They said, well, Peter was preaching to Cornelius, and Cornelius was a Gentile, and the Holy Spirit fell on him, just like he fell on us uh, on Pentecost. And so, if God doesn't care about them being circumcised, uh, then why would we? And so, the church made a decision and sent out these these people to spread the news that no, you do not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so, Paul and Barnabas brought the news back to the church at Antioch where all of these guys were waiting, anxiously awaiting the news. Am I going to get cut or am I not going to get cut? And uh, they came back and said, you don't got to get cut. And so, it's like, oh, yeah. So, like a sigh of relief, uh, you know, co- hovered over the crowd because there's thousands and thousands of Gentiles that had come to Jesus who are now like, whoa, I didn't sign up for that. Um, and so that's where we ended. And that's literally right where we're picking up with today as we finish up chapter 15. So turn to verse 36 of chapter 15 in the book of Acts. Um, that's where we're going to jump off with. Um, and again, this is a weird issue. Okay, I know it's a weird concept to be thinking about. But this, this is like real deal Christianity. These are things. Churches have these issues that come up and, and people are on both sides of an issue. You know, should we paint the church white or should we paint it brown? You know, and those are just like non-issues, but this was a serious issue for these men to have to try to figure out. And so I've titled today's message, um, Trip Number Two, A Rough Start, uh, because we've already looked at Paul's First trip, first missionary trip. That's what we did for the past few weeks. We looked at his journey. He and Barnabas set off to spread the gospel all around the area, and they did that. They came back. They shared the news that God had been, you know, he had been preached in all these different places, and thousands of men and women, boys and girls, are coming to faith. And it was like this celebration, this party that yes, the gospel's been spread. And today we're going to find out that they say, let's go again. Let's go back and visit some of them. And that's right where we pick up in verse, uh, verse 36 of chapter 15. It'll be up on the screen. There's, and I'm just going to tell you, there are problems right from the start of trip number two. Okay? Trip number two didn't go as well. It certainly didn't start as well as trip number one. And we're going to see that here. So Paul and Barnabas, sir, they're celebrating. And then after some days, it says there, verse 36, after some days, Paul, and, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return. And visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So Paul's like, hey, let's go back. Let's go visit our friends. Let's go visit all those churches that we planted on that first missionary trip and see how they are. Let's go to them. Let's, let's encourage them. Let's disciple them. Let's go see how they are. It wasn't like they had FaceTime where they could just, hey, show me. You know, like it didn't exist. None of that. They had to actually go. And so they say, sure. Verse 37. 
So Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. Verse 38, But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia, and he had not gone with them to the work. Continuing, verse 39, And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren of the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So immediately from the get-go, there's an issue. There's an argument. There's a problem. And it's, it's, it's a big problem here. This, this is serious enough to where they split. They split up. The dynamic duo of missions splits up here. And there, there's, there's all kinds of questions that I have. I was talking to my mom in the car last week like, and I asked, I said, why would Luke include this? Like, why didn't Luke just say, Paul and Barnabas split paths and they went two different ways to try to reach more people? Because that's what happened, but why would Dr. Luke include this argument in the text? Like, why bring up this bad stuff? And I began kind of thinking, and she and I, my mom and I were talking, and I began thinking about the credibility of the Bible. That it's things like this that lend to the Bible's credibility. It's things like this that, that seem out of place, that seem like, man, if I was writing the Bible, I would not record that. I would not leave that in there. It doesn't look good for these guys. It's those events that are in the Bible that look like, man, what were they thinking that helped lend to the credibility? And here's what I mean by some of that. I mean, these people were real people. These things actually happened. These were men and women, boys and girls, who were jacked up, just like you and I. Okay? These are not fairy tales that were made up to try to get you to believe in some imaginary God. These things actually happened. These are historical events. And God's Word is true. And you can trust it. And you can build your life on this Bible, on these Scriptures. Think about some of the things that have been included in the text. The disciples of Jesus, Jesus' closest followers, were some of the dumbest guys around, right? I mean, like, he's like, hey, I'm going to die. They're like, nah, you're not going to die, right? And, and Peter would constantly put his foot in his mouth for saying stupid things. And we see it time and time again. And Jesus tells them these things. And he's like, listen, how dense are you guys? I've told you time and time again. We see King David, who everyone loves. He's a man after God's own heart. King David, okay, king of the king of Israel, and he sees some hot chick, and he decides to go after her. And this is a married woman who's married to one of his closest confidants, and he sleeps with her, and he gets her pregnant, and then he realizes it, and he tries to cover it all up, and eventually kills that guy. Okay, he has that man killed to cover up his sin. This is a man after God's own heart. He was jacked up, just like. You and I are jacked up. Elijah, God's prophet who slays 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, 450 men he destroys on a mountaintop and then immediately runs from a girl. He's afraid of one girl. Right? I mean, these are the types of things that are included in the text because they show us that these were real people. These were sinners like you and I. These were 
people that were writing the text of what actually happened, not trying to make everything look good and all gravy and all that. Like, these were actual people in actual events. So I began thinking about this. Is, I mean, this is true because... And I, I think I tend to call it like the selfie concept. When you take a selfie, how many of you, as soon as you wake up in the morning, take a selfie and post it to Facebook or Instagram? No, you're like, oh, I've got to get my makeup did. i got to get in the shower. i got to put on some clothes. You know, nobody takes a selfie like this, right? Because you got the triple chin. Like, no, we, we do selfies at our best angle with the makeup and the hair and the lighting. And you take 50 of them because you're trying to put your best foot forward. People are that way. We just are. We always want people to see our best side. And so if you are going to write a story about your life and try to get people to you know, like you and things like that, you wouldn't write all the crappy things that you are. And this is the idea of the Bible is that it was real. And things like this lend to its credibility. When you see things like this, you can say, this wasn't a fairy tale. If it was a fairy tale, we wouldn't see all these crappy situations that they keep talking about. We'd just see all the good stuff. We'd see the selfie stuff. We'd say, yeah, Paul and Barnabas, they split up. They tried to reach more people. This is all cool. But no, we see the reality of the situations. And that's what I love about the Bible. It lends to its credibility, things like this. See, the, the people that wrote the Bible, the men that wrote the Bible were not writing their own interpretation of things. They weren't just saying, well, I'm going to try to get people to believe this or that. They were writing the words of God as they were inspired by God to write them. And God said, I want you to include this. I don't want you to include that. I want you." They, they saw a situation through their eyes and God said, this is what I want you to write. And so they wrote what God had them to write. We can believe this book. So what's the issue? Between Paul and Barnabas. Let's look at it. This is, I mean, the main thing. What's the issue that happens between them? Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him. See, it was John Mark that bailed on them in their first trip. If you remember, we talked about it, I don't know, like six weeks ago or so. We saw it in verse 13 of chapter 13. It's up on the screen. Now, Paul and his companions, they were on that trip. They were on that first missionary trip and John Mark was with them. Okay? Now, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why he left. It doesn't say John had a scheduled appointment with his proctologist. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't tell you why. It doesn't say why he left. We can, you can only guess. I mean, was he scared? Uh, was he lazy? Was he just tired? Did he not agree with... Did, was he homesick? Like, we don't know why he left. But we do know that he left. And he left in a way that made Paul believe that he was somewhat offended that he had gone. So if his offense, if Paul was offended that John Mark had deserted them, then you probably think that there was maybe, in at least Paul's eyes, not a very good reason for him to leave. Like he was scared or something to the effect of that now Paul's going to take a strong stance to say, he ain't coming back with us. He deserted us then. He doesn't deserve our trust. So we don't know why he took off. Could have been a disagreement. We're not sure. Paul's saying, no, we're not taking John Mark. Barnabas, on the other hand, remember what his nickname is? 
Son of what? Encouragement. Barnabas is the type of cat who's going to give you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. Remember how Barnabas treated Paul when no one wanted to be with Paul? What did he do? Come on. Right? When no one trusted Paul, what did he do? Come on. I'm going to bring you along. Barnabas was an encourager. And so, of course, Barnabas is like, yeah, he bailed on us, but we need a second chance. Right? Because that was his mentality. That was his demeanor. He was a son of encouragement. It also doesn't hurt that John Mark was his cousin. Okay? We see that in Galatians. I'm sorry, Colossians. So at the end of Colossians, when Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, he talks about John Mark and he says this. He says, oh my goodness, what's this guy's name? Aristarchus? Aristarchus? Does that sound good? Okay, Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner send you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin, who? Mark. So, I mean, if Barnabas had any reason to encourage this guy even more, it's because his auntie's going to get on him if he don't. You know what I mean? Like, it's, this, is, this is family. He's going to go with us. And so, he took him along for the ride. And Paul and Barnabas argue so strongly that they end up splitting ways. Look what it says. It says there, and there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. This is, I mean, this is serious. The dynamic duo of missions is done. And the issue is not, it's not like uh, a spiritual issue, right? This is not a doctrinal issue. This was what? I trust Him. Well, I don't. This was a matter of opinion. And it was such a strong opinion that they ended up splitting up. I mean, this is not like a serious, oh, we believe in law. Well, we believe in grace. We need to circumcise. No, we don't. This was like, I don't like Him. We shouldn't take Him. And so this is one of those things that just kind of, it kind of blows me away a little bit. But, can you think of, in your mind, any side benefit for them splitting up? Anyone? More people, right? Now you've got two teams going out. And you can reach more people. And we see evidence of this, that Paul goes a different direction and reaches different people instead of just going to continue to talk to the people he'd already had. He goes a whole other route and, and reaches all these new people and starts these new churches. There's more people that hear the gospel. So here was the first trip. We've talked about this. We've seen this. So this is where they started, right? And then they came this way to Cyprus and Paphos and went all the way around and then came back. These are the places that they uh, visited. They started churches there. Paul put people in charge there. Paul and Barnabas are like, let's go back and visit them. Now, yeah, but I'm not taking Mark. And so what happens? The Scripture says that they split up. So the second missionary journey of Paul is here. This is where we're going to start studying now. Paul starts here. He goes home first, and so does Barnabas. Barnabas goes to Cyprus. Paul goes to Tarsus. And then from there, they split up. And we're going to see in the text it says that they go to Derby and Lystra, and they meet up with Timmy, and then they come all the way around and eventually come home. We're not going to go all there today, but that is where these guys are headed. These were true events. These were things that actually happened. So, Barnabas and John Mark go to Cyprus. That's here. This is the island. If I'm not... I think... I'm pretty sure Barnabas was from Cyprus. I think that's where he was from. Someone can check on that. It talks about it in the very beginning of Acts when it describes them. 
I believe it was from Cyprus. Uh, and then Paul and who, we'll see here in a second, take off and go somewhere else. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Let's continue. So remember, Paul takes, who does he take? Barnabas takes John Mark. Who does Paul take? Look in the text there. Silas. That's his new traveling com- companion. That's his homie. That's the person who's going to be with him the whole time. And we're going to see him eventually do some really cool things together. Verse 1 of chapter 16. So Paul... Oh, let me put it up on the screen for you. Paul came to Derby and to Lister. So Paul, I'm going to go back. Paul takes off. Remember, they're in Antioch. And they take off. And they start towards Lystra and Derby. This area here. Okay? Let me go forward. Paul... Uh, also came to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named who? Timothy. This is, should be, for those of you that read the Bible, a familiar name. Yes, this is the first and second Timothy letters that you get in the New Testament. This is the leader of the church. This is, this is an important dude. The son, so named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a what? So he's got... The mixed breed thing going on here. He's got two different influences in his life. Okay, we're going to find out that really that Jewish influence was way more stronger than the Greek. But his father was a Greek. Verse 2. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were there in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to take this man to go with them. So Paul sees him. We know that he's a young man. Uh, from later on in the, in the text, we find out he's a really young guy. Paul says, I like this guy. I want to take him with me. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Verse 4. Now, while they were also passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the disciples, uh, by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in faith and were increasing in number daily. Now, as we read that, I want to know if anything weird stood out to you that stood out to me. As I read this, I'm like, what did I just read? He circumcised him. Right? Like, it doesn't make any... Like, oh my goodness. Paul, and we just spent a whole chapter, right? Years of our lives talking about this. Paul and Barnabas fighting this issue of circumcision... They go to great lengths, great expense to find the answer to this serious issue. Thousands and thousands of men that take a sigh of relief. Oh, I don't need to be circumcised. Yes, awesome. There's this huge battle over this issue. And the first thing Paul does is what? Circumcise Timothy. And I'm like, what are you? Oh, what are you doing? Yes, Emmy. Okay? Okay? Sure. So there as I as I looked at this, I'm like, I mean, I studied I've I've read through Acts probably seven or eight times in my life that I know of, and I've never noticed this issue. I mean, we've studied New Testament. 
studies in my seminary classes, and I don't remember talking about this. I don't remember my professor saying, here's why. Like, I didn't have an answer, and I'm talking to my mom, but I'm like, what is going on here? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. So what do I do when things don't make sense? I hit the Google, right? I hit the Google. Google! Why? And there are a million reasons why people say that Paul decided to circumcise Timothy. Is there a right answer or a wrong answer? Who knows? There are people that have a certain theory and another theory. It doesn't tell you why. It doesn't say exactly, well, because he was afraid or blah, 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 blah. blah. We don't know for sure. As I begin to study and look at this, I want to just read verse 3 again here. Paul wanted this man to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul and Barnabas fight this incredible fight over circumcision, not being required for salvation. And then he goes and circumcises Timothy. It's, it's just weird to me. It's like, okay, so, uh, we're going to go fight this battle, but sorry, Timothy, you got to get cut. Right? I mean, this is nuts! No pun intended. You know, like, this is crazy to think about that these things are happening like real life happening, and Timothy's like, whoa. And then later on in the text it says, we're going to go all throughout the countryside and tell people they don't have to do this, but you have to do this. Like this seems contradictory. On the surface, it absolutely seems contradictory. And there's no like clear answer that I said. But if we rewind, think about this for a second. I want for us to look at the full story. When Paul and Barnabas are in Jerusalem... Dealing with this issue, we're going to rewind for a second. When Paul and Barnabas are in Jerusalem dealing with this issue, Paul is explaining this in Galatians. He explains that meeting later. Look at what Galatians 2.3 says. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This is interesting to me. When Paul and Barnabas are in Jerusalem fighting this battle with the church in Jerusalem... They took this cat with him. He was Greek, and it says that he wasn't even... This is the same. This is like all at the same time. He wasn't even convinced that he needed to be circumcised. So, this is just really kind of crazy. So, Titus, you don't have to be circumcised. Timothy, yeah, we've got to circumcise you. Like, what do you think Timothy's thinking? Oh, my... God. Why me, man? What? Like, really? We're not sure what Timothy was thinking. It sucks for him. But as you think about it, what Emmy said was true, right? Timothy was raised in a Jewish home. We see that later on in 2 Timothy. I'm going to show you some more evidence here. 2 Timothy. So this is one of Paul's letters to Timothy later as he's leading the church and things. It says this, You, Paul speaking to Timothy, you, however, continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from who you've learned them, and that from childhood, so when you were a kid, You've known the sacred writings, the Scriptures. Okay, He was raised as a Jew. Which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy was raised to worship the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of Gods, the God of the Jews. This was his upbringing. It came through his mom. He was actually Jewish in every way that you could be Jew, except that he was not circumcised. 
Now, why was he not? Maybe, you know, we don't know, but maybe his father was like, okay, I draw a line there. You know, that's, that's where I'm going to draw the line. You're not doing that to my son. Um, many of you had parents that were raised in two different faiths. Okay? And there was a compromise of sorts. And dad would not go to church with you, but mom would. And then you'd go to dad's church and you'd have these beliefs and these beliefs and they all mixed. And that's kind of what's going on here for Timothy. Um, but as we look at it, we even maybe get even more evidence as to why they do it. Because of the Jews, it says there, took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As I was sitting in my mom's car the other day talking to her, processing this, I said, did Paul just like finally cave to pressure? Like we can always only handle so much before we're just like, all right, I'm done, right? Like I fought this battle for so long, I don't want to fight it anymore. I'm just going to circumcise him and be done with it. I mean, that's, it's reasonable to think that that was Paul's thoughts. He had been fighting this battle for years now. And he's like, I'm just done. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Sorry, bro. We've got to cut you. Right? Like, it, it's reasonable. We all come to a point where we just want to, like, give up. And be like, I'm sorry. I can't deal with it anymore. I can't deal with all of the people constantly talking to me about this type of thing. But this, as you look at the story, probably is not him caving to pressure. Because in this case, there is no pressure. There's absolutely nobody telling Paul that you need to circumcise Timothy. There's nobody coming to Timothy saying you need to be circumcised. There is no evidence of this in this case. There was in the previous case, but not in this case. So I don't really think it's caving to pressure. Um, So what is it? It's definitely not for salvation. They had already figured that out, that circumcision was not necessary for, for salvation. So what is it? And I think, as far as I've read and studied, I think that it, it was, has to do with a little bit of what Emmy said. It was Timothy's ability to relate to people on the mission field. That this was not necessary for salvation, but it was a good habit. I guess it's not a habit. You don't do it all the time. It was something good in order to do to prepare himself for ministry on their behalf. And the reason I say that is because Paul later teaches in his letter to the church at Corinth that he's going to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to reach people with the Gospel. Look at it here. 1 Corinthians 9. A lot of you know this section of Scripture. Is it, necessary to, uh, is it necessary to circumcise Timothy? No. But it's probably a good idea. Thinking about who we're going to go evangelize. These men who were Jews who knew that he was a Greek. Okay? Sorry, bro. Here it comes. Verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is Paul speaking. For even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. He's saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to reach people with the Gospel. Verse 20, When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jew to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law, even though I'm not subject to the law. 
I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under life. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Verse 21, when I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. Verse 22, when I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. And then he wraps it all up here in verse 23. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Paul says, later teaches, and I think this is already in his mind, this is already part of his personality. He's saying we're going to do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel. We're going to cut out every roadblock in our life that we can in order to reach people for the gospel. If Timothy's circumcision is a roadblock, then he needs to be cut so we can reach people with the gospel. This is, I mean, this is, this is real life, affects our lives today, right now. What's going on here affects us, not because of the circumcision issue, but because of the roadblocks issue. Was it necessary to circumcise Timothy? No. Was it a good idea? It was. Because it helped him identify, it tore out any kind of uh, objection that they would have to his leadership. And so he says, come on, bring it on. Okay, bring it on. If you study the life of Timothy, you know that he probably gladly did this. Probably wanted to do it as a, well, he wouldn't have chosen it at eight days old or six days old or whatever. He would have wanted to have been fully Jewish. It's probably his dad who was stopping that. Um, We don't know for sure. But if you look at the life of Timothy, he gave his life for the gospel. You can assume, you can take an educated guess that this was something that he willingly did in order to be a better leader. Did it cost him? Yeah, it cost him his foreskin. (laughs) It's kind of sketchy. But it was not something that he would not do. Jimmy, it was something that he was going to do to be a better example, to be take the roadblocks out of the way. And then this is the craziest part to me of the whole story. So we get this, Paul circumcises him, and Timothy goes along with him, and what do they do? They start telling everybody, hey, you don't have to be circumcised. Right? Timothy gets circumcised in order to go preach the news that you don't have to be circumcised. It's, it's, like, it's mind-blowing to me. Look at this. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who in Jerusalem. So, They're going out, spreading the news to all of these other churches, all of these other Gentiles. Hey, remember those guys came and said you had to be circumcised? Well, I did, but you don't have to be, right? You don't have to be. And there was like these great parties and all these churches who were waiting these letters, these news, these guys coming to say, you don't got to get cut. And the guy's like, oh, yes, right? But Timothy voluntarily did it. Why? I think really because of 1 Corinthians 9.23. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Everything means things that are unnecessary. Things that are uncomfortable. Things that are unpopular. 
that we as followers of Jesus are called to do in order to spread the gospel. This is just a reality of being a believer in Jesus. Now think about Paul who wrote this. Paul voluntarily kept himself in prison for years in order to be able to preach the gospel to all of the Roman people that he kept appealing his case. His case would have been thrown out years previous, but he said, I want to stay in here so I can appeal my case to the next level of Roman government and I can talk to them about the gospel. Ultimately, his goal was to share the gospel with Caesar, the most powerful person in the world at this point. He says, I'm going to stay in prison so I can preach the gospel to Caesar. You want to talk about taking on things that are unnecessary in order to preach the gospel? This was Paul's life. I think Timothy saw in his mentor something that he ought to do as well. So what are the lessons that we can learn? And I'm not really over time-wise, by the way, if you're looking, because I'm looking. So what are some of the lessons that we can learn from a text like this? I think the first thing that, as I sat in my office the other day writing these things down, the first thing we've got to ask ourselves is, what am I willing to do or not do or start or not start aware? What am I willing to do to better relate to people in order to share Jesus with them? Right? <laughs> not because, well, Gigi doesn't have to get services. She's okay. Okay? You're good on that one. What am, that's a question we need to ask. Us. What am I willing to do to better relate to people? Learn about them. What am I, am I willing to? Like, think about this in your own life. You all have your own lives. You all have your own habits. You all have your own things that you're doing, not doing. Like, what are you willing to do? Stop doing? Start doing? What are you willing to, what habits are you willing to pick up in order to reach people with the gospel? Gigi. Okay, change your, that's exactly what's happening in this case, right? Change your way of life in order to relate to them in their circumstances. When they're weak, you're weak. When they're poor, you're poor. When they're rich, they're rich. When they're joyful, you're joyful. You know what I mean? Like, yes, of course. But like, you all have friends. What are you willing to do to better reach them with the gospel? What am I willing to do to better reach the people around me with the gospel? Am I willing to stop doing some things that I have full freedom to do? Am I willing to start doing some things that I don't necessarily want to do in order to reach people with the gospel? We're going to have to get outside our comfort zones, our little Jesus bubbles, our little whatever, in order to reach people with the gospel. Timothy gave up his foreskin. Okay? Big deal. It's a huge deal. What are we willing to do. Verse, I'm sorry, point number two, as I look at this text, one of the things that stood out to me is I can trust the Bible. I can trust, I can believe, I can build my life on the foundations of the Bible. And the reason I say that is because it's obvious that the writers were not just writing some random fairy tale. Because they kept including things like this that don't make any sense to include unless they were the truth. Like these things were the truth. This is the the capital T truth, the word of God that you can build your life on. There are some of you in here today that maybe yeah, the Bible, yes, no, don't. Re- 
this is one of those things that can put in your brain, I actually believe that thing. As weird as this story is, it gives credibility to the Bible. Because if it was just a made-up fairy tale, nobody would have included this. Like, nobody in their right mind would include a story like this. If you're trying to get people to buy in. They're like, what? Why? Right? Like, why include it? doesn't make any sense. Because God said to include it. It's inspired. These are God's instructions to us. And then the last thing is, something we can learn from Paul and Barnabas. Don't let a problem at church distract you from fulfilling God's plan for you. There's all, Listen, we are a small enough church, you're going to get on someone's nerves and someone's going to get on your nerves, right? There's going to be something that happens in a church. Not just our church. Every church that you go to. There's, if you're there for long enough and you have at least one or two friends in this church, you are going to have some kind of conflict with someone. And I will tell you, I've been in ministry for, I don't know how many, 16, 17 years, something like that. Most people's beef in church is not doctrinal. It is not spiritual. It is that lady keeps taking my seat, right? Or it is that lady keeps parking in my spot. Or I don't like the style of songs they sing. Or that pastor always gives me the stink eye. Or it is not... I mean, 90% of the time, the problems that happen in church are problems of opinion, of personal taste. That's why there's so many churches around town. Okay? Because people have a different taste. They have a different style. The problem is, is when you have a problem with people at church or the church itself, it's most of the time not a spiritual issue. I mean, there are some. You may go to a church and you're like, dude, they just taught what? I'm not going back. But that is rare, I find, rare. Because you kind of know where you fit in and where you don't, you know, uh, denomination-wise and things like that. Paul and Barnabas did not let this argument stop them from God's plan for them. God's plan for them was to evangelize the known world. And what did they do? They evangelized it. They went different ways. They actually made more impact than they could on their own. They did not let the, the circumstances stop God's plan for them. So if you've got a beef with me and we can't figure it out, don't just stop going to church altogether. You're going to stop here and you're not going to go somewhere. Go find another church where you can go to. Right? Go figure out where you fit in. Don't let this organization of crippled, horrible sinners dissuade you from doing what God's calling you to do. Okay? Because we're all jacked up. We're going to fight. We're going to argue. I'm going to say something that's dumb that you don't like and you're like, I can't believe he said that. I'm not going back. Okay? Go find some other place then. Don't let problems at church dissuade you or distract you from fulfilling, from fulfilling God's plan for you. That's, I mean, I have more, but we're going to stop there. Um,